Hey guys, welcome to a special episode of the Obsessive Viewer Podcast. This episode was recorded at Starbase Indie on Thanksgiving weekend. Um, we were asked to be part of a panel for the summer movie preview, uh, a summer movie preview panel. Um, <laughs> Uh, hosted by Mike George, the one of the programmers of Starbase Indie. Um, longtime listeners will remember that we had a similar episode about the 2015 movie season um, back in OV85, and they were kind enough to ask us back, and we we went. Um, so just be forewarned that this episode is uh, is was recorded using the handheld H2N that we use, so it's it's a little different than our normal episodes, but it's still really good content, and we were very happy to be. A part of Starbase Indie once again. Uh, special thanks to Mike George for putting it all together, and thank you to Starbase Indie for inviting us back. Um, so yeah, well, here's the episode with me, Tiny, and Mike George talking about the 2016 summer movie season. Enjoy! Okay. Uh, good morning. My name is Mike George. I am the co-chair of programming for Starbase Indie. I would like to welcome you to our 2016 summer movie preview. Uh, we're back again this year with the guys from the Obsessive Viewer podcast, uh, Matt Hurt and Anthony, Anthony Ramian. Is that my, am I Ramian, correct? Ramian, yeah. Ramian? I, I, I got a, a pronunciation wrong on Friday. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Um, and I thought I could get a little snazzy with the name Canada and spelled, spelled and pronounced it Canada. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, that, that's <laughs> not how it's pronounced. That kind of thing always freaks me out. I'm always very nervous about that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I know I, I know I was surprised by the, uh, the box of office last summer. Um, I, I thought that Age of Ultron would have been uh, demolishing the competition, but I was uh, slightly disappointed with the film. Um, I was hyping, hoping to see Ultron lead, lead in, into the upcoming larger Infinity War storyline, but it, it really ended up being more of a one-off. Um, Matt, what did you think about uh, Age of Ultron? Well, I actually haven't seen it since since the theater, actually. Um, and that was, in that moment, it was really exciting, and I, I really loved it in that moment. I think that that was more due to the theater experience of it, because uh, it, it was the double feature of the first one right into the <coughs> second one, and it was just a packed, uh, packed house. But the more I thought about it, I kind of noticed that it had some problems. It was a little overloaded with, like, subplots and... Uh, set up for future movies and one of my biggest issues with it was that Ultron as a character like the marketing and this is unfair of me to really uh, judge against it but the marketing for it kind of depicted him as kind of a more menacing terror and in the movie he was kind of a sarcastic like Tony Stark-esque personality which fits the narrative of the movie well but it just wasn't really what I was expecting but um, overall, it really delivered what I wanted from it, which was a strong summer movie, blockbuster, action-packed, Whedon-esque dialogue movie. So I, I, I was I was pretty happy with it. Okay. Um, so really, uh, Jurassic World was kind of the movie that surprised me. Um, it, it had that kind of sense of, uh, of nostalgia, and, and it, it really it seemed to kind of wipe out the competition the the movie earned over 650 million dollars worldwide and it, that's still counting um i i really didn't know what to expect 
from the film going in, but I, but I really really loved it. Um, it's the type of movie people who saw the the first film can you know now being twenty years later can can take their kids to so. Um, and it was also enough of a sequel um, that it could still appeal to the fans of the of the first trilogy of movies, but it's it's also standing on its own two feet. The references to the first first film are, are subtle, like reminders. It's, it's not it doesn't delve in too deep. Um, Anthony, what did you, what did you think about Jurassic World? Um, I, I was unfortunately pretty underwhelmed by it. Um, I, I feel bad saying that because. You know the amount of work and talent that went into the film are really impressive. Um, all the special effects and the scale of it, which was just really impressive. But um, uh, I think what when I think about what the movie was lacking, the word that comes to mind is majesty, because um, the first movie was just so majestic. Um, it, it captured people's hearts and it blew us all away with just the awesome power of of nature. Um, the idea of mankind harnessing that power was was really thought provoking and impressive in the first movie. Um, it tapped into childlike wonder of the audience, whether you were an actual child or an adult. Um, and I just felt like all that was mostly missing from Jurassic World. Uh, it was really the ideology that was exemplified was either this kind of weird, narrow-minded defense of animals from Chris. Pratt's character that I thought was just kind of out of left field, um, or it was this really off-putting corporatism from Bryce Dallas Howard's character. Um, the ideology just seemed skewed to me, and not not in the not in the um, the true spirit of the Jurassic Jurassic Park franchise, if you will. Um, I, I just kind of felt like the whole the whole movie lacked a little bit of character. Um, Chris Pratt was really on a short leash, I think. Hardly any of his his kind of signature comedic style was was in the was in the movie. Um, they really should just kind of let him be himself and and make a little more comedy uh, naturally. Um, I think in the original they kind of you know they kind of let Jeff Goldblum do his thing. He was he was really entertaining um, as he always is. Um, they didn't they didn't try to reel him in at all, and I think that was to a really entertaining effect in the original. So. Um, I felt like Jurassic World was mostly style with just a little bit of substance. Uh, I think it more it needed more than like a, sh- a shiny new dinosaur and a bigger scale to keep us interested. Um, I, in my opinion, a simpler plot would have been the best way to return to the franchise's glory. Um, I, I ultimately had some fun with it. You know, it's it's hard not to have fun with dinosaurs fighting each other. It's a pretty <laughs> awesome thing. Um, but ultimately, I was kind of let down by the lack of charm and majesty. So were either of you disappointed by any other films that you went to see this summer? And uh, were there any movies that kind of surprised you? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, in terms of disappointed, uh, I want to say Fantastic Four, but I had no aspirations for that movie. Um, it just it was barely a movie. But uh, the one movie that did actually disappoint me was actually Vacation, which I wasn't too... I wasn't too excited to see it that much, but the trailers kind of made it look like it would be it would be fun, and I'm a fan of the franchise and everything. But it it just it follows this growing trend of reboot slash sequel hybrids, and I mean, on one hand, it, that's kind of better than the alternative of just an out and out remake. It's they're trying to do something new and different, but 
this one just didn't work for me. There were just so many just dumb jokes that didn't land, and the story as a whole, as far as the family aspect of it, just was really felt really passionless and it's just a shame because I really like Ed Helms and I think that he he did a fine job as Rusty but it it does he deserved to be in a better movie for for the franchise and the franchise deserved a better movie out of it um Tiny were you disappointed by any um I wasn't really disappointed by any but I was pretty surprised by uh Kingsman the Secret Service um I wasn't expecting a whole lot from it I think Matt Vaughn the director has just kind of He's been car- just just turning out these these comic book movies, um, action style comic book movies. I think he's kind of kind of fatiguing fatiguing his style in that respect. Um, um, and it seemed like a comic series that just came out of left field to be adapted into a movie. I'd never heard of it. I think a lot of people had never heard of it. Um, but you know the, the the planning for the movie was started while the comic was being published. So I guess that kind of makes sense that it was a little more collaborative and it was adaptive. Um, but the, the movie just really, really captured my attention, and I, I was, I was enjoying the heck out of it while I was in the theater. Um, I really loved their commitment to paying homage to the spy genre, um, which is really, I, I think, you know, obviously James Bond series is the best, the best example. Um, but I feel like they've been kind of the only example for the most part. I mean, I guess we have had a couple other ones, but. The, the Bond movies just stand out, and it's kind of nice to have something else to to point to in the, in the spy genre. Um, but I, I do give Matt Vaughn a lot of credit for establishing his own style when it comes to action movies and comic book movies. Um, and I think modern audiences are really digging it, and uh, I'm a fan of it too. You know, there, there's nothing wrong with it. I think it's it's really fun. So uh, I hope the franchise and the filmmakers both have a long future. It's funny, that movie actually, I think it actually came out in February. Did it? <laughs> yeah, which it doesn't feel like, I think it did. I, I, I'm not sure if it, uh, I could be wrong, but I, and it seems like it's something that would have been really well suited for summer too. But, yeah, okay. Uh, but yeah, but one, one movie that did surprise me during the summer also was uh, Straight Outta Compton. Uh, it was like a really strong drama that actually went a little further than what an ordinary music biopic would, would do. But uh, but then it was also a little bit favorable to the to the subjects of the movie who happened to be the producers of the movie. So it was kind of a kind of a mixed bag there. But I I was did not go in expect go into it expecting it to be that good, and it actually surprised me. Okay, well I want to jump right into the summer 2016 with uh, Captain America: Civil War. Yes. Um, <laughs> so we. So in the so in the age of Ultron, uh, we, we saw a little bit of a rift developed between Captain America and Iron Man. Um, in this point in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the world's leaders are still sort of reeling from the unintended destruction caused by a new world of superheroes and alien gods. They're reacting by creating a registration act that will hold them accountable. Cap and Tony Stark end up on opposite sides of the issue and end, end up splitting the Avengers apart. Matt, uh, what do you think is motivating them? Why would Tony Stark support this kind of uh, registration act, and why would Captain America fight against it? it um, they kind of seem to be playing a little bit against the type that they established, where, where yes. Tony is the rebel and Cap is the patriot. So It's funny. It's, uh, you know, on paper it doesn't seem like, it seems like it would be hard for them to really figure out how to put a wedge between the two characters because they're both really strong characters they both have uh, independently of each other they have uh, several movies that have that are building up um, 
from that and their, and their friends and everything. But there's a great line in the trailer where Tony says, if we can't accept limitations, we're no better than the bad guys. And I just I have a feeling that Tony in in the movie and granted, I haven't read the source material or anything. And I know that it, I'm <coughs> sure that it doesn't include the Ultron stuff or anything. But uh, I have a feeling that Tony is kind of dealing with the fallout of what happened with Ultron and that he's not going to let anything like that happen again so he's he's receptive to limitations on their on their powers and everything or on their uh uh their output i guess um and cap has never really been a fan of the government interfering interfering with what they do like he fought nazis and he's seen literally the worst case scenario of government control (laughs) and so he's kind of constantly fighting to prevent it it's kind of a um Kind of an extension of what the Winter Soldier had, because he was very he was very against what they were doing with the the helicarriers and stuff like that. So I feel like it's just going to be a natural progression from what they've started, what, from what they've been building toward. And I think that that's going to really benefit the movie because it's going to that trailer is just insane. <laughs> so I, I have a question for both of you. Mm. Um, it, it's kind of like Civil War is going to be a sort of mini Avengers sequel, mm-hmm. uh, Avengers two point five. The, the there are a few quick characters that they that they have cast and and are have decided to bring back to the, to the series. Who who are you excited to re, re, see return to the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe in Cap Three? Um, it looks like Bucky's going to be back in full force, mm-hmm. and you know, you know, true true Bucky too. Um, and and for me, the relationship between him and Cap. Uh, is one I'd really like to see explored. Um, the first Captain America I, was pretty unsatisfying to me. I thought it was really cartoonish, uh, and the characters suffered as a result of that. Um, and then when Bucky and Cap got together again in Winter Soldier, uh, Bucky was just basically a robot under pretty powerful mind control. Um, so I'm hoping that you know now that they're both clear-headed and they kind of they've duped it out already. The um, Civil War is going to allow that relationship to really go to some great places. Um, so I'm really excited to see to see Bucky uh, re- really really be himself in this um, yeah. and, and work with Cap uh, based on the trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, and plus, it's just going to be cool to see Captain America and Iron Man duke it out. I mean, right. it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, it's going to be, I think. A little bit emotionally taxing because we've we've been attached to both of these characters for so many movies now and so many mm-hmm. years. Really, it kind of feels like they're real people and they're our friends and stuff. Um, but I think the turmoil that's going to result from that, the fallout of that, the chaos, is going to be exactly what the the Marvel Marvel universe needs. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it needs some friction, it needs some conflict, um, and I think that's that's going to be that's going to be really appreciated by the audience so yeah and i'm i'm looking forward to seeing falcon again uh just because i love the chemistry between anthony mackie and uh chris evans they're just amazing on screen together um i'm looking forward to seeing their uh friendship kind of uh develop more in civil war well i i have to tell you um I'm I'm really excited to see uh, William Hurt back playing Thunderbolt Ross. Yeah, uh, the Incredible Hulk movie with with Ed Norton is kind of a redheaded stepchild of the MCU. It really is. And to bring back one of the strongest parts of that movie into the into the universe just kind of makes me, you know, really excited to see mm-hmm. how they're going to take it. And I think he's kind of 
from what I've seen, going to be sort of the new Robert Redford character from Winter Soldier, kind of the He does kind of seem like that, yeah. Liaison. Well, on that note, um, I they, the uh, studio released a teaser trailer for the film earlier this week, so I went ahead and grabbed that. Let's hope this technology works. <laughs> Captain, while a great many people see you as a hero, there are some who'd prefer the word vigilante. You've operated with unlimited power and no supervision. That's something the world can no longer tolerate. I know how much Bucky means to you. Stay out of this one. Please. You only make this worse. You saying you'll arrest me? There will be consequences. Captain, you seem a little defensive. Well, it's been a long day. If we can't accept limitations, we're no better than bad guys. That's not the way I see it. Sometimes I want to punch you in your perfect teeth. I just want to make sure we consider all our options. Just people that shoot at you usually wind up shooting at me, too. You know what's about to happen. Do you really want to punch your way out of this? What do we do? We fight. Sorry, Tommy. You know I wouldn't do this if I had any other choice. But he's my friend. So was I. We want to move on and talk a little bit about the new X-Men film coming out. Uh, X-Men Days of Futures Past united two generations of mutants, and it connected the Bryan Singer X-Men universe with the first class cast. Now the younger generation is kind of standing on its own, but this time an ancient enemy has returned to create a new world by destroying the old one. Anthony, how do you expect the X-Men apocalypse to stand up against Days of Future Past, and what are you excited to see from the film? Um, I think Apocalypse really has its its work cut out for it. Um, I can only speak for myself, but I think most audiences were really blown away by how good Days of Future Past was. Uh, I wasn't expecting it to be that awesome. Um, and as, as far as how it's going to compare, the two are going to compare, um, Days of Future Past really felt conclusive. I mean, it felt like the end cap of a franchise. Um, so it's, it's going to be hard to, I think, I think it, it did have a, kind of a reigniting effect, you know, kind of getting us all back into that, you know, the, the previous cast and the new one, bringing them together, had had a fresh feel to it, but it, it also just felt so conclusive because they kind of, they defeated, like, the ultimate enemy and the Sentinels, um, and I, I don't know, I don't know much about Apocalypse, so maybe he is more, <clears throat> maybe he is more formidable than the Sentinels, but the Sentinels just seemed like the ultimate enemy, um, and... Once you defeat that, I'm just not sure, you know, how much, in terms of, uh, you know, a movie franchise, I'm not sure where, where it goes from that. Um, I, I honestly can't see Apocalypse being a better film than Days of Future Past, but I'd love to be proved wrong. I mean, I hope it, <laughs> I hope it is better. Um, it's certainly possible, of course. Um, um, I'm just hoping for something that's comparable in, in quality to Days of Future Past. 
Um, anything more than that is really icing on the cake for Singer and company. Um, what I'm looking forward to is um, really everything about it. I think I'm looking forward to the fact that I don't really know anything about it. Um, <laughs> I, when I was a kid, I used to love watching the X-Men cartoon, and so there was a ton of stuff about the Sentinels and that, so I already kind of had some some idea about what was going to go on. Um, but for Apocalypse, I just don't know anything about it, and it's it's just it's really appealing to me. Um, I, I love the idea of the fact... I love the idea of uh, one of the mutants or a villain that's that's ancient, like like Mike said. Yeah. Um, you know, it's something that he, he's going to be this old, wise, wizard wizardly kind of person, you know, like just have all this knowledge and, and be such a formidable villain that it's going to be a huge test for all the X-Men. Um, so I'm excited to see... I, I hope it's one of those those like legendary villains like the Joker or something like that that we can really uh, we can really appreciate for years to come. Um, that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Now there's there's been a little bit of an uh, online criticism of Brian Singer's take on the uh, supervillain apocalypse. Um, he doesn't look much like the villain we've seen in the comics. Um, it's more like a, a goofy bad guy from an episode of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Um, so for the questions for both of you. Uh, are you happy with this vision of the character, or do you I, think it's going to take a you know take the audience out of the movie? Well, I've only seen that picture that you have posted there, um, and I I, I agree. It does kind of look like a goofy Power Rangers villain, um, Lord Zed in particular. But um, I I have to assume that they'll. Maybe it's not the full rendering of it because I fi- I figure that they might do something in post production to kind of like alter the look a little bit maybe, but I don't have a problem with it because Oscar Isaac is playing Apocalypse and he is a phenomenal actor, so I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what he brings to the table in terms of being a villain in, in this franchise. He's very purple. <laughs> very purple. Not cool. Um, I believe I read that it's the same either costumer or creative designer that worked on Power Rangers. So really? obviously, you know, going to be in it. Oh, I think at least one of the movies, but I can't Oof. verify that. Wow. So, yeah, that's... That doesn't always, bode well, then. <laughs> I'm always critical of the costuming in, in Brian Singer's mm-hmm. X-Men movies. It's, oh. it, yeah. Especially Days of Futures Past. It's supposed to be set in this post-apocalyptic future, and yet they all have bling. <laughs> you know, and it's all like... <laughs> That's know, true. It's a little, where did they get a tailor to... <laughs> in 2014, Michael Bay brought a controversial live-action version of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to the big screen. But the film was successful enough to inspire a sequel due out in June. I'm actually a little excited to see this. Uh, we're going to see some characters from the TNT, the TMNT expanded universe in the new film, including names you might recognize like Casey Jones, Bebop and Rocksteady, and my all-time personal favorite, Baxter Stockman. Uh, Matt, do you think there is a chance that the movie could be successful, and what has to happen to make it work? Um, I think there's a very good chance it'll be successful. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think Casey Jones is being played by um, Stephen Amell. Uh, Amell. Amell mm-hmm. uh, from, from Arrow. And I'm, I'm sure that that'll probably bring in an audience uh, as well as other things. Like, like <laughs> I have two nephews, and they like love the Ninja Turtles. And I think that 
Um, it, it the new one last year was it, it was a lot of fun to watch, and I haven't seen it since the theater. But I, I think that what they've tapped into there is like it, it might be a little. Granted, it might be a little um, like hardcore fans of the franchise might not be too fond of it. Um, but I think that between like a younger audience who's like really getting into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles at this age, and also like an adult. Uh, an adult audience. I think that that m- those two audiences will come to see it and and hopefully be entertained by it. Um, and and then also they've cornered the market on or, or they've gotten uh, like you said a lot of the bigger names or a lot of the fan favorite names uh, from the franchise into this movie. So I think it's I think that if they do it right and they do the marketing right, it'll bring in uh, plenty of people. Um, I would say it would probably be. I, I would assume it would be bigger than the uh, the last one, a bigger success. That's my prediction, at least. Oh, okay. Um, so after 20 years, Roland Emmerich is finally bringing fans the sequel to his wildly popular sci-fi disaster movie, Independence Day. And yes, Star Trek fans, Brent Spiner's back. <laughs> this was the first big uh, summer broadcast blockbuster that really uh, surprised me as a kid. It was like a little bit of a buzz going for this for this film, like in in magazines back in the day, days before the internet, and uh, but after twenty years, uh, we're finally getting something new. Um, Anthony, do you think that the Independence Day franchise can appeal to a new generation of fans? And do you think this movie could be like kind of the nostalgia hit of the summer, just like Jurassic Park was this year? Uh, Definitely Jurassic World. Sorry, Jurassic World. <laughs> yeah. uh, definitely yes on the nostalgia kit. This is going to make money. Um, I think it's really going to appeal to the thirty to forty year old demographic um, who were younger when the first one came out. Um, I fall into that category absolutely. I'm going to go see this. I don't care what the trailer looks like. <laughs> um, doesn't matter to me. I'm going to go see it. So it's going to make money. It's going to be a big hit for nostalgic reasons. Um, but I'm just not sure how much the franchise is really going to appeal to a modern audience. Um, Alien Invasion is really like a subgenre that's been kind of beat to death and overused over the last decade and a half, maybe. Um, movies like Battle Los Angeles, War of the Worlds, Skyline. Um, oh, wow. and, and a lot of it was done to pretty poor effect. Uh, not, not very good standards. Um, you know, those, those movies weren't that great. And, and I think the modern modern audience the young demographic didn't really like it and, and that's for good reason because a lot of those movies aren't that great um, so I think you know y- younger people or a modern audience might not like it as much um, even though it is a franchise um, I, I just don't I, I'm not sure I, I'm, cur- I'm curious to see what the numbers are like as far as you know age groups and stuff like that because I think it's going to be mostly people who are over 30 who go see this and uh and enjoy it and, and want to see more. Um, I, I can't help but be excited for it. I have a, a strange um, affection for Will Smith. Um, I re- I'm one of the six people who read his uh, biography in the 90s when I was like 10 years old. Um, I don't even remember it, but um, I, I've loved Will Smith forever, and I think I've never met a person who doesn't like Will Smith. Um, he has the best track record ever as far as bringing in an audience and, and mm-hmm. making huge blockbuster movies. So the movie's going to do well. There, there's no doubt about that. We'll just see how good it is. All right. Um, so we really haven't seen a new Ghostbusters movie since 1989. Um, the closest thing we, 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 we got was a, to a true sequel was kind of the Ghostbusters video game that came out a few years ago. 
Um, after the death of Harold Ramis last year, hopes for a true reunion were put aside. Um, in July, Bridesmaids director Paul Feig is bringing a brand new vision of the Ghostbusters to the big screen with an all-female team of per- paranormal investigators and eliminators. Uh, so, for both of you, do you think this new version of the Ghostbusters will recapture the magic of the first two films or stand on its own? Will casting Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy make it too much like Bridesmaids for some hardcore fans to handle? Uh, I don't think the the gender swap will be that big of an issue. Um, I, I really think that it's it's almost inspired that it. Um, <laughs> That the, I think that they cast uh, Channing Tatum as the as the secretary character, so I, I kind of like that they're going to play with convention a little bit there, and I think that that'll be that'll be a fun dynamic to to see. Um, and I think that as long as Paul Feig is um, respectful to the franchise, I, I don't see why he wouldn't be. Um, I think that it could really. As long as he does right by the franchise, I think that it could be a success and it could be a hit. And, I mean, Kristen Wiig is one of the most talented comedic actresses working today. And I think that um, the cast, it, it'll it'll really lie in the casting and, and how those characters play off of each other, really. Um, Tony, what do you think? Yeah, I think they really just need to make this their own. You know, yeah. they, they don't... They don't need to try to recapture the comedic stylings of Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis. Um, that that's, that would just be a terrible idea. You know, com- comedy has to be organic. Has to be organic, um, and it needs to fit with the comedians who are trying to express it. You know, you can't just tell someone, "Hey, tell these kind of jokes." You know, you have to say, "This is what we want to do. How would you make this joke, or how would you?" Do this scene. It needs to be organic, and they need to make it their own. Um, I don't. I don't think it's going to be like Bridesmaids. You know, they need to. They need to respect the characters and respect the source material. Um, but you know, they can't try to just emulate those characters from the '80s. You know, ma- make your own characters. Um, Melissa McCarthy's kind of played the same character a few too many times, um, so she needs to come come out with something fresh for this mm-hmm. for this movie. Um, and Kristen Wiig is, is she's a really versatile actress. Um, I, I think she needs a character specifically suited to the subject, and not just some kind of general female character who like stumbles into this. I mean, it needs to be specific, and they need to they need to j- dive into the characters wholeheartedly with full force. Um, I think there's a lot of potential for greatness uh, with the movie, but it, it could just as easily get screwed up. So we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> In late, Ju- in late July, we'll see the third feature in the new alternative, alternate timeline Star Trek universe with Star Trek Beyond. The film's creators have been tight-lipped about the project, but the choice of director Justin Lin, a veteran of the Fast and the Furious franchise, shows their commitment to fast-paced action. Simon Pegg co-wrote the screenplay for the film new film. Matt, can Star Trek still appeal to tra- traditional fans while at the same time drawing a new audience? And what are you hoping to see in the new film? Well, uh, I think it'll still bring in money, and it'll, it'll turn a profit, and it'll be a big hit, I'm sure. Um, but I'm really curious how much of the first two were because of J.J. Abrams, because um, he really made an effort to make it more Star Wars-y. 
Um, and I personally hope that they make it a more thought-provoking philosophical Star Trek because uh, I've, I've actually gone and watched some of the original series, most of the original series. I just love that kind of that thought-provoking story, storytelling that they had in that series. And it makes me kind of hesitant to actually revisit J.J. Uh, Abrams' movies now that I've seen the original series because it kind of feels like it's it's very flashy and very action-heavy and, and, like I said, very Star Wars like and i think that now that we're getting we're going to be getting star wars consistently every year i kind of wonder if um the success of jj abrams's movies were was con- was how much of that was contingent on there not being any star wars and it being kind of filling a void um for for a star wars like um sci-fi adventure movie um but i really hope that they just go back to that kind of uh the five-year mission, basically. <laughs> That's what I really, really want to see out of it um, and see them do more exploring and, and thought-provoking sci-fi. Okay. Well, the DC Cinematic Universe is hoping to strike back at Marvel in the next year, and Suicide Squad may be, end up being the biggest draw of the summer. Um, it's sort of DC's version of the Avengers, only with supervillains instead of superheroes. Many fans are anticipating Jared Leto's version of the Joker, but I think Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn may be the breakout character from the film. Anthony, what does the Suicide Squad movie have to do to compete with the Avengers and with the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Um, you know, I really, I wish I knew how to feel about this movie. Um, <laughs> I'm cautiously excited for it, um, reluctantly excited for it. Um, the trailers look cool, and and the advertising has kind of hooked me a little bit. Um, but the concept is just such a big jump for, for DC from what they've been doing to this is just kind of a, it's like they're skipping over several steps. Um, um, but of course there's nothing wrong with breaking the mold and, and, you know, trying something new and fresh, you know, that's, I can't, I can't blame them for that, but you know, none of these characters have been established in any other films. There's no, you know, with the exception of the Joker, um, there's just, these other characters are just big unknowns. Um, so so much character establishment will have to take place in the movie while while developing conflict at the same time. That's just such a a big juggling job. It's just hard to fit all that in there. Um, I think the movie's kind of destined to either be bogged down with too much exposition, or the characters are going to be lacking and we're not really going to connect to them. I think it's just kind of destined for one of those two um, those two outcomes. Um, it's, it's just it just seems like far too ambitious of a movie to me um, Avengers was really ambitious but it had tons of foundation to build on um, and tons of talent involved with it um, Suicide Squad does not have that foundation at all they're gonna have to build that while they're while the movie's going um, and, and I don't I don't know if they can pull it off uh, to compete with the Avengers the movie's gonna have to establish credible believable characters and, and they're gonna have to make the audience want to see them come together. And, you know, they make... They have an even bigger challenge given that they're anti-heroes, um, villainous characters. Um, there's just so many barriers in the way for this to be as good as the Avengers. Um, I, don't, I don't think anyone's really going to see that coming. Um, this movie seems like a step that's a few a few films further into a universe or a franchise. Um, I think they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot with Suicide Squad. Um, but again... I'd, I'd love to be proved wrong. I'd, I, I'm, I'm all for good movies being made, so um, if it's good, that's awesome. Um, I think it, it has plenty of potential to succeed financially and creatively. 
Um, and, and I hope that the DC can kind of break out of their post Dark Knight funk with with this. Yeah. Okay. So, as we kind of wrap up here a little bit, I'd like to ask everyone on the panel, um, what movie do you think will be the, the biggest blockbuster of the summer? Well, I didn't like Man of Steel, <laughs> but I think that Batman v Superman is going to be just a massive, massive success. It's the first, the first live-action movie with those two characters in it, and I think that it's... Had I not seen the trailer for Civil War... Um, I think that it would have be just kind of uh, really easy to just say Batman v Superman is going to be huge, but I mean, Civil War is also kind of that same that same kind of dynamic: two heroes fighting each other. Um, so I think that either one either one of those things are either one of those movies are going to be the biggest hit of the summer. I think, um, but I think that it'll. it'll probably be Batman v Superman. Um, as much as I didn't like Man of Steel and how. Not disinterested I am in, in DC, the, their cinematic universe, but I don't know. The trailers for Batman v Superman sound look really good and everything, but uh, I'll see it. I won't see it opening weekend, but I'll see it. But I'm sure that everyone else will <laughs> see it. Um, yeah, and for me, it's 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 going to be Marvel versus DC. This time, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to be. I think it's going to be a trade off between uh, between Batman and Superman and Civil War. Um, I think audiences are going to be more excited for Civil War, though. I, they're kind of just now getting into a lot of the advertising for that. Um, I, th- I think audiences are going to turn out more for that because it's. I think it's the next, the next <coughs> perfect step for the progress of that story and that that franchise that's so deeply established already. Um, it just makes sense for for that storyline. Um, I don't. I think both of them will either get very close to or exceed the billion dollar mark. Um, really the difference between the two the two movies is going to be negligible they're both just going to be huge juggernauts and um, I, I think both of the studios are going to be pretty pretty happy with the uh, the dollar return for their their investment on on those movies so um, we'll just have to wait and see what those two do but it's, I think it's gonna be one of those two yeah so so we sort of had fantastic four kind of became like the biggest train wreck of yeah. this summer yeah um, <laughs> are you what movies on the on the on the slate for summer release are kind of kind of worrying you? Kind of think they might bomb. There's a movie uh, that's coming out, and I think July that everyone I'm sure has it marked on their calendars. The Angry Birds movie, <laughs> which I think is not going to perform that well. Because um, I honestly is I don't even know is if Angry Birds is even really on in the like cultural consciousness. Like I don't have it downloaded anymore. It was kind of a fleeting kind of time waster and I don't see how a movie is gonna gonna really sell tickets to it unless I don't know yeah I, I don't I don't see that performing that well um, yeah. Tiny how about you um, I really hope the biggest flop is uh, The Huntsman Winter's War <laughs> yeah. uh, the sequel to the first Huntsman movie um, the first one was just awful uh, it's another example of Hollywood that just Hollywood putting out anything that has source material, anything that's established, it's like, well, we're going to yeah. make one of these because it's going to make money. Um, it's, it's just a, it's a cash grab. Um, it's indicative of a lack of creativity and originality in this 21st century Hollywood. Um, 
I, I really just hope the movie flops like a dead fish right from the get-go. Um, no more Kristen Stewart and stupid Cinderella crap or whatever it is. No, it's not Cinderella. It's uh, Snow, uh, White. Snow White. Snow White, yeah. yeah. Whatever, same thing. I, I, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of with that wanting it to fail so yeah. that we don't see any more of it with the... Uh, the Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland sequel, Alice the Looking Guest. Now, I know the source material. I've read it when I was younger, and I enjoyed it and enjoy Lewis Carroll, but mm. it's just an entire movie shot in front of a blue screen. Yep. Yeah. Completely. I mean, it just it's an animated movie. It's a cartoon, mm-hmm. yeah. and they've photoshopped live actors into it. Yeah. Yeah. And I want it to fail so that he will stop <laughs> making movies like that and go back and make something... The studio controls a little bit more, like Batman, <laughs> or even Batman Returns, which was his more of his vision. Yeah. Um, a little more odd, but more like just doing things with practical effects. His right. stuff is so just off the wall, computer generated yeah. in recent years. Uh, That's my safety flop. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Hope that it, also hope that it fails. Yeah, and. And I'm I'm kind of thinking uh, in terms of a sleeper surprise for the for for the like a sleeper hit, and I and it's a select audience so it might not. But there's a the sequel to The Conjuring coming out, and that's probably one of the and it's based on a true story, and mm-hmm. um, it's probably one of the, the first one was probably one of the, the scariest movies I've seen in the last decade. Very effective. Yeah, I, I, I like that a lot. A pretty vivid nightmare after <laughs> watching watching that film last year. And and I'm just really excited to see that and I think a lot of horror fans and it's got like it's got a strong enough cast that it can bring yeah. and appeal some to some people and bring in bring in audiences outside of just horror audiences. So well, what do you guys think about sleeper hits? Well um Really quickly about about the Conjuring too. I kind of hope that um, Annabelle didn't like cause any ill will toward the fan base because I did not like that movie that much, and it's supposed to be connected in a sort of kind of tangential way to the Conjuring. So hopefully, hopefully that doesn't hamper the Conjuring too. But as far as a sleeper surprise for me, uh, we talked about Independence Day, and I think that I'm just judging from. This summer's performance of Jurassic World, and I mean, I think that that'll lead to Independence Day being a success. But also, uh, the Jungle Book, I, I'm I'm hesitant to say that because Pan is kind of Pan was panned, um, and it was a big flop uh, last year, which it's kind of not really similar. But I, I just established properties make me hesitant now, um, like that. But the Jungle Book has uh, um, ScarJo, and I want to say Idris Elba in it. And also, um, John Favreau is making it, which I'm a big fan of his. Um, so hopefully, that's a success. If if only because I like John Favreau and he seems like a good dude, and I want good things to happen to him. <laughs> so hopefully, that's hopefully that's good. It, it, but it seems like they make a new Jungle Book adaptation every ten years. They, yeah, and it's always something new. And this time, it's 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 computer animated mm-hmm. animals with live action, but they talk and the, they right. do vo- the voices of the actors are laid over. And yeah. and I, I I'm hesitant. I don't know. Like I think the story's been been been. Said, I mean, I always look at that classic animated film from the '60s from Disney, right? And say that's my Jungle Book, and that's yeah. what it's going to be. And I don't like, you know, yeah, want them to, you know, remake it. Like it's going to have to bring something in it. But but with Favreau bringing it, mm-hmm. it 
make creating this project, it might be a little yeah. bit more interesting. Yeah, for if me. Favreau wasn't involved, I probably wouldn't really give a second second look to it. Um, It'll have a sense yeah. of humor, so that's good. Exactly. <laughs> Well, I'm glad Matt mentioned Pan, because I think that was my pick last year. It was, and I wasn't yeah. trying to... Well, I was trying to bring that up, because... Yeah, yeah. Um, that was a bad pick, because uh, it <laughs> did terribly. Um, and I haven't seen it, but I'm sure it's not that great. Um, I think I may have also mentioned um, Mad Max Fury Road last year. Which, oh, yeah. <laughs> which was a breakout hit, and I'm glad it was a hit. Didn't um, do better than Pitch Perfect, too, but, I mean, you got to look at <laughs> It was the a demographic audience for right. that and all that stuff. <laughs> it was a big success. Um, right. So my pick for this year also, I just really don't know. It's pretty early in production, but I'm going with uh, Knights of the Round Table, King Arthur, um, which there, we don't really even hardly know anything about it yet. Um, I, I'm really only listing this as a surprise for like it being good as opposed to it making a crap ton of money, um, being an actual blockbuster. Um I don't know if it's going to bring in a ton of money, but I think it could be really good. And the reason is because it's directed by Guy Ritchie. Um, he hasn't done a lot lately, um, and, and most of his, I think, most of his films that he's kind of known for are like smaller independent movies that didn't make a ton of money, like Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch. Um, but he made hugely successful movies with Sherlock, the Sherlock Holmes movies. Um, those were those were quality films, and they were huge hits um so you know if if he takes this takes this really classic story and makes it his own um i I think it's going to be i think it could could be a pretty good movie um it he has charlie hunnam cast in it and he's pretty hit or miss um i I like him enough but I, i don't know if he has the power for this um we'll see i mean he I think Guy Ritchie is going to be the star of this, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical about it, but I think it's kind of a, a bold pick for a biggest surprise. I, I hope yeah. it does surprise us. He also did. Guy Ritchie also did this year. Um, uh, the Man from Uncle, I think. Oh, did he do that? I think so. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know. That. Um, I don't know how well that performed though. So I, I don't think that it. Was that had, big had, had a. It was in that August lull. Yeah. And it didn't get the studio didn't give it a, a, enough, really enough of a push. It, right. It didn't, do, it didn't perform well, but it's it's still got that Guy Ritchie sense of style. I mean, Guy Ritchie's one of those directors you, you think either DC or Marvel needs to pick him up and put him into yeah. one of these major projects. Marvel and um, Marvel. Until they lost Edgar Wright on Ant Man, mm-hmm. was kind of doing this. We're going to find a an, an A list director or a, a you know a, a a niche director a niche director and put him mm-hmm. in each of these projects and yeah. then make it like. Yeah. But they're going Disney's tightening the reins yeah. a little bit on Marvel Studios, right. very corporate, and they're going to. Yeah. And uh, you know, I enjoyed, I really enjoyed Ant Man. You know, over the court, over the over the summer, but it was it was again one of those movies that like, it just felt like it was missing like just the tiniest bit, just mm-hmm. the tiniest bit that Ed, what it could have been with Ed, Ed, if Edgar Wright. And I think people are always going to ask what what it could have been if Edgar Wright was. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, in terms of uh, mentioning the King Arthur film, you know, that's another project like like the Jungle Book, where every ten years we get yeah. a new yeah. <laughs> You know, <laughs> I think there was the King Arthur movie in the 2000s. And the then Clive there Owen was one. The Clive Owen one. Right. And then there was the one with Sean Connery. Was mm. it First Night and Richard Gere in the 90s? So every Jeez. 10 years we get a new 
a chance to jump into this franchise. But with Guy Ritchie directing it, I'm going to go see it because he directed it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the casting's going to if the casting's right and you've got different like character actors in it, it's going it could work really well. So. Yeah. Well, on that note, I'd like to thank everyone for participating and enjoying this panel this morning. Sorry about the technical difficulties again this year, but we'll work on that for next time around. Um, and uh, I want you guys to enjoy the rest of your day and the rest of Starbase Indies. So thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks for coming, guys. And this will be on obsessiveviewer.com, the panel, if you want to check it out. Okay. <laughs> thank you, guys. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Awesome. Great discussion. And that was our Starbase Indie panel for 2015 about the 2016 movie preview. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, thanks once again to Mike George and to everyone involved with Starbase Indie. They have been super kind to us the past couple of years to let us uh, to invite us to the convention and let us do a panel and all that stuff. It's it's really great of them, and it's a really nice, cool uh, convention. That's that's pretty much completely centered around science fiction and everything. We didn't get a chance to really check it out in full this year, but I know that they had um, some very notable guests there this year, and I'm sure that they're just going to continue growing from there. It's it's really it's really cool to be a very, very small part of that um, convention here in Indianapolis. Um, since this is a shorter episode, I was going to just go ahead and spew out a few things. That is the wrong way to say it. Um, uh, first of all, if this is your first time listening to The Obsessive Euro, we're a weekly movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show, each episode. You can find back episodes of the podcast at uh, ovpodcast.com and also subscribe to it on iTunes, Stitcher, um, in the future, Google Play, pretty much anywhere you find podcasts, we're there. And then also we have a corresponding blog where I primarily uh, write written reviews of movies and TV shows and also write commentary and stuff like that about the industry as a whole at obsessiveviewer.com. All of this is going to be in the pre-recorded outro that we're going to – I'm going to play here in a second. But I do want to mention that um, I also was – it was pointed out to – me on on the internets that um there's there's a website called letterboxd.com it's letterboxd that's l-e-t-t-e-r-b-o-x-d um dot com it's like a social network for cinephiles and you can basically keep a diary of all the all the movies you watch and all that and keep ratings and reviews one of our longtime listeners pointed it out to me when i tweeted something about um how difficult it is for me to track my movies watched uh with just a word document and um Evernote because I apparently live in 2002. Um, but Letterboxd is amazing. I signed up. So if you're on there, give me a follow. Check out my uh, reviews and all that stuff there. Like I kind of have micro – I'm planning on having like micro micro reviews and uh, with links to full reviews and um, podcast episodes um, within the review on Letterboxd. Anyway, it's letterboxd.com slash obsessive viewer. And I spent a lot of time just putting in all of my data um, over the past year into that. Uh, so please check it out and please, you know, reach reach me there. Also, we have a subreddit at r slash obsessive viewer where, um, well, basically what, I, what I'm hoping to do on Letterboxd is basically what I was hoping to do with uh, Reddit. So subscribe there. I'm all over the place here. Um, <clears throat> So as I said, we're a weekly movie and TV podcast covering a specific topic. 
every episode, and I just want to give a quick rundown of some of the things that we have planned in the next uh, few weeks here to round out 2015. Um, next week, we're going to have two episodes um, devoted to Star Wars. Um, we originally intended to do an episode about the original trilogy and then a separate episode about the prequel trilogy, um, both of which Mike came back for, so our longtime um, co-host, who is currently on sabbatical from the podcast, returned for those episodes. Uh, those will be next week. However, we did uh, we did end up just run, like not sticking to the format quite uh, as we had planned, and it ended up being a very interesting um, episode recording session for us um so yeah look forward to checking that out next week um of course that'll be at um obsessiveviewer.com slash ov144 and 145 um and then after that we're going to be doing a review of star wars the force awakens and then after that we're going to probably do a uh, an extended potpourri and then i think that we're going to have a seinfeld retrospective episode with me and mike um to round out the year so that's stuff that we have looking that we have in the works um throughout the rest of the year and i am super busy trying to get as many 2015 movies watched so that at the beginning of the year when we have our annual end of the year movie uh year in review movies episode um i can have a very uh, well-rounded top 10 and bottom 10 and all that. So anyway, um, thanks again for listening. I think that that's about all that I have to say (laughs) um, in terms of rambling things and everything. Um, I worked like 12 hours today, so that's why I'm all over the place. Um, Yeah, so anyway, um, I'll throw it to the pre-recorded outros. By the way, that extended potpourri here in a couple weeks, that will be when I talk about my uh, potpourri section that I talked about a couple weeks ago um, in the Creed episode and the Food Documentaries episode. I was chosen to watch, or or Tiny blindly chose uh, for me to watch a documentary documentary about absinthe and um, uh, Pontypool. And so I'll have those reviews in our extended potpourri episode, which will probably be OV146 um, here in the coming weeks. So, uh, yeah, once again, thanks to Starbase Indy. Thanks to Mike George for setting up the panel and, and, and hosting us there and everything. And uh, we look forward to doing it, doing it again next year. And, yeah, thanks for listening and have a good one. Thank you for listening to The Obsessive Viewer, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find more of our episodes at ovpodcast.com, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast app. The Obsessive Viewer's theme song is An Eclipse of Events and is provided by Loud Like from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. You can find that and more great music from them on iTunes and like their Facebook page at facebook.com slash loudlikemusic. Any and all feedback on the podcast is encouraged. You can email the hosts individually at Matt, Tiny, or Mike at ObsessiveViewer.com or send an email to the podcast in general at podcast at ObsessiveViewer.com. Check out the Obsessive Viewer blog at ObsessiveViewer.com where we post movie and TV reviews and the occasional editorial about the business of entertainment. You can also like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer and follow us on Twitter at Obsessive Viewer, at Obsessive Tiny, and at I am Mike White. If you want more obsessive content in your life, check out our sister site, ObsessiveBookNerd.com, for book reviews, author spotlights, and a general celebration of reading. 
Finally, if you're philosophically curious, check out Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com and subscribe to the podcast on the podcatcher of your choice. Again, thank you so much for listening. We love you. Be excellent to each other.